0: Holly G with the Gulf Insiders. Yes, it's playoff time. The FedEx Cup playoffs and the second leg, the BMW Championship. The event returns to Olympia Fields Country Club for the first time since 2020 where John Rahm made a 66-foot birdie on the first playoff hole to win. But uh, at that point, Today, they start with 50 players with the top 30 advancing to next week's tour championship where all the big money is on the line. And it's great to bring in today one of our favorite golf insiders, Bob Harrig, live from Olympia Fields. Hey, Bob.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: Doing well. First of all, I know you're in your uh, neck of the woods, your hometown neck of the woods, and uh, just a... Give us a little lay of the land. How's the weather in Chicago? And, you know, Olympia Fields, yeah. quite a golf course that's hosted a number of major championships.
1: Yeah, listen, this is a great track. Um, when John Rahm won here a couple of years ago, uh, beating Dustin Johnson in a playoff, their 72-hole total was two under par, two under. I mean, that's – Stout. that's, that's, that's that's pretty stout for a regular tour event, you know, a non-major. My guess is the scoring is going to be better this time because we've had rain. Um, they had rain um, earlier in the week. Uh, pretty good bid on Monday. And then, again, Thursday morning, uh, play delayed. It's, you know, live clean in place. So my sense is, is that the scoring is going to be a lot easier this time. And if you recall way back... Jim Furyk won a U.S. Open here. And the narrative at that time was that the course was too easy. Um, You know, the U.S. Open has not been back to Chicago since. And it's kind of unfortunate because I think Olympia Fields got a bit of a bad rap that week. DJ Singh shot 63 that week on the Friday. And it was only the fourth time a 63 had been shot at the U.S. Open at that point. You know, you had the Johnny Miller one. Uh, in, in 1973, and then in 1980, um, both Jack uh, Nicholas and Tom Weisskopf shot 80 the first round at straw And then it was 23 more years before somebody shot 63. And I think there was this sense that, oh my God, the course is playing easy. Well, you know, VJ was seven under in one round, and eight under won the tournament. And it wasn't VJ. You know, he didn't even, he wasn't even second. So, you know, the course took a little bit of a beating. And, you know, they brought it back for the BMW uh, three years ago. It was during COVID. And, man, they, I think they were determined to show, hey, this is still a venerable golf course. I mean, they have Westerns open, Western Opens that go back to the 1920s that were played here. Um Bobby Jones lost a U.S. Open here in a playoff. Um, Jack Nicklaus was here the other day to give a little talk. 55th anniversary of his 1968 Western Open win. I mean, so I mean it's got some great history and it's really cool that they're here. It's just the bummer is, is it's only 50 guys. It's not a you know it's not a regular full field event. But uh, great great course and we'll see how it holds up after all the rain.
0: Well, that means fans will get to see a lot of the golf course, Bob, with the television coverage. And you know, Olympia Fields is a throwback uh, to train travel. Literally, uh, the Chicago Metro takes you right from downtown and and drops you within uh, you know a few paces of the tournament gates. Right? Even even for the media, that's pretty unusual.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually, where, I, where I'm parking is like right, right. Near the train stop and and you just get off the train and walk right in i mean it's it's uh you know that's kind of a neat aspect to it uh for for people that are local you know it's really easy way to come you know especially those who are used to who are used to use you know taking trains and and understand the system um i I'm not sure if they're adding any extra lines or not, but you know there's there's pretty much um at least one an hour that goes to downtown. And so I'm sure there's other routes along the way too. So it's pretty cool. That's, you know, back in the day, that was how people got to golf courses. So, um, and this golf course, of course, goes back to that period.
0: Yeah, as well as the baseball stadiums. uh, My parents were both natives of Chicagoland. And I can remember taking the train to my first Cubs game, Bob. And, yep. um, hey, the Cubs uh, played the White Sox uh, Tuesday night. And, and uh, Justin Rose threw out the the, uh, the ceremonial first pitch. That's a lot of pressure, even for an open champ.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's tough. It's not that easy to throw a baseball 60 feet, 6 inches, if you're not used to doing it and getting it on target. So it looked like he kind of lobbed one in there. So I give him credit for uh, for not bouncing it. Yeah,
0: exactly. So let's uh, let's break down the field a little bit. Uh, the man of the moment, Lucas Glover, going for his third win in three weeks. Forty three years old. Uh, this guy is in a zone, Bob, and it couldn't be happening at a better time for one of the nicer guys and lower-key guys on the tour.
1: Yeah, look, I love the Lucas Glover story right now. I mean, look, he's got a third of his career victories in the last two weeks. He's now got six wins. And, you know, um, he went through a lot of grief on the golf course uh, here over the last decade or so. I mean, you know, I wrote about him um, on Wednesday. Uh, It's, you know, and there's, there's just no easy way to say it. He had the yips. You know, that's almost a, you know, that's a swear word in golf. You don't to say it. Like, like shank. You don't want to say yips or shank. It, it gives people the,
0: Heebie-jeebies.
1: Yeah, no question. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you go back and look at the numbers, and over the last three years, like, I don't have this exact off the top of my head, but, like, three years ago, Glover missed, like, 27 or 28 putts of three feet or less. And last year, it was like 24 or 25. This year, until he won in Greensboro just a couple weeks ago, it had been 24. He just kind of found a new style about six, seven weeks ago with a long putter, a broom putter where he, you know, has his hands separated, you know, and he just sort of taught it to himself. And all of a sudden, you know, he's putting nicely, but... You know, to miss that many three footers, like there was a period in time where Tiger went like like a thousand three footers or less, and 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 you know. So to, so when he when he won in Greensboro, he sort of made a joke. He said he said it's nice to see the tap ins go in, and you know that kind of is a, is a good indication of how tough it has been on him. Um, you know, he didn't feel good over those short putts. He talked about having, you know, issues with with 12, 14-inch putts. And uh, even a tap-in made him nervous. And so now, the grip um, system that he's gone to, he feels a lot better about things. And uh, uh, obviously, he's making some putts here these last couple of tournaments. Uh, And actually, you know, last week he said... I didn't even hit the ball that well. It wasn't a great ball-striking week, especially over the weekend. But it was good enough, and he made enough putts, and his short game was strong enough that he was able to get it done. And, and and you know, good for him. I mean, uh, the thing about it, he won the U.S. Open in 2009. He was in his tr- – he was way outside the playoffs. Uh, I think he was 112th going into Greensboro. So he needed, like, no worse than, like, a two- or three-way tie for second. And, and obviously he won to get in and then wins again. And now he's fourth in the FedEx Cup standings. I mean, you know, the guy could win the whole thing. Uh, he, he doesn't even have to win this week necessarily to win the whole thing. If he can just kind of tread water and stay in the top five, you know, he gives himself a great chance to win it next week.
0: It's an incredible story. You know, it's, it's one thing to whisk one-footers with your buddies on Saturday. It's a whole other thing to be a tour professional where they're capturing it on television. They showed a couple of those awful, ugly putts last Sunday. And I think a lot of us would have thrown the clubs in the pond a long time ago.
1: Yeah, you know, I've, I've, made, I've talked about this before about guys who hit it really well and don't putt well. It must be so aggravating to be so good, like the top one-tenth of one percent in the entire world hitting a golf ball. But the thing that maybe we can relate to the best, which is putting, like, you know, we might not be able to hit a 300-yard drive or hit irons with the precision that they do, but we all think we can make a 10-foot putt, you know, right. even a two-footer or a three-footer. Now, we might not ever be anywhere near as consistent as them, you know, but but we think that that's the easy part. And the easy part for them is the hard part, or at least for these guys who hit it so well and can't putt that great. You know, look, Rory's been through that. We've got a bunch of guys in golf right now who are excellent ball strikers and seemingly struggle on the greens, like Justin Thomas. Look at Scotty Scheffler. Scheffler, probably the number one example right now. He's been doing great despite, you know, horrible uh, strokes game stats with his putting. Um, You know, you've got, uh, um, well, Colin Morikawa is not a great putter. Cam Young. He's not one on tour. He's a great ball striker. But I think what's held him back is his putting. I mean, you can just imagine how frustrating that must be to, to be that good at this game but not be able to get the ball in the hole.
0: Yeah. And,
1: uh, you know, so Glover found the answer. So far, so good for, for Lucas Glover. You know, he, he had a couple of other really good results after that. I believe it was T4 at the um, Rocket Mortgage. He tied for sixth. At the John Deere, he, he now he missed the cut by his shot at the 3M, but he said, look, I putted well. You know, like I just, you know, I putted well. They just weren't going in. Hey, that's um, good, for, good for him. Good that he didn't take it as like a bad sign. Like he didn't feel like the putting was, you know, awful. He just, you know, you're going to have some weeks where they don't go in. And, uh, you know, bounces back, wins Greensboro. 10 wins in Memphis and, you know, beats Patrick Cantley in a playoff and actually had to rally to do it. You know, he had kind of a shaky back nine. He made a late birdie, hung in there, and then he let Cantley make the mistake. So um, so there we are, you know. It's, uh, it's a pretty good story.
0: It was a nail-biter coming down the stretch and ended up in a playoff at TPC Southwind. Patrick Cantlay uh, – has won the last two BMW championships, Bob. And what's significant is the BMW moves around. So in 2021, he won it at Caves Valley. And in 2022, he won it at Wilmington Country Club. Uh, So he's looking for a three-peat fresh off the runner-up at St. Jude.
1: That's right. And he's – Cantley's also won three of the last six playoff events, Um so, you know, he in uh in twenty twenty one he also won um the first one, which was then the Northern Trust. And then the next week he won or no, I'm sorry, he won he won the uh he, I think he won the tour championship. Or at least he was number one at the tour championship. He's he just had a good run here of late and he's he's gotten he's found the right time to, to, to peak yeah he seems you know.
0: he seems to do that I, I, I call him the quiet gladiator bob he just sort of goes about business and the next thing you know you know he's uh he's taken the trophy home
1: right yep and you know it's good i mean he's he's it's been a little bit of a disappointing year for cantley he has not won you know and he's yet he's way up there he's like fifth or sixth in the world he's He's a guy we think should win, uh, but yet he's, he's sort of had a a, a little bit of an indifferent year. Not a bad year, but just a year without any wins.
0: Another player that's having the year of his life, Eric Cole, the only PGA Tour rookie to reach the BMW Championship, and I say rookie, he's 35 years old, Bob, and we know Eric because he's from Delray Beach, Florida. He's the uh, son of Bobby Cole and Laura Baugh, who are both, you know, professional golfers. He was the king of the mini tour circuit, and now uh, he's building a case for rookie of the year.
1: Yes, he is. Great story too. Um, you know, he didn't win that Honda Classic, but. That was one of the best tournaments of the year, and I think it's a great argument that that some of these now-called signature events, you know, there's something to be said for the regular golf tournaments too, and uh, that was one of the better ones. And, uh, you know, obviously you positioned him for a great year, and uh, to make it here is a great story. Obviously he needs a good week to get to Atlanta, which would be incredible. I mean, you get to Atlanta – you get in the third, top 30, there's a whole lot of perks that go with that. And uh, he's already given himself um, a shot at, well, he's going to have a lot of great perks next year because being in the top 50 means you're in all the signature events. Right. It means he gets to go to Kapalua. He's going to be, obviously, in Pebble Beach, Genesis, Arnold Palmer, um, he's going to be in the players he's gonna you know he's gonna be in the big money events five of which have no cuts more fedex points he's just given himself a great chance to build on this but if you get in the top 30 you're guaranteed of being in three of the majors and um uh, you know i don't think he's assured himself of that in any other way yet certainly not the masters so this is a big week for him get in the top 30 you're in the masters and and obviously, you're also in the U.S. Open in the Open, so and almost assuredly he'll he'll qualify for the PGA then too. So he is; he's a good story. And, and you reminded me that that that's a guy we should be kind of looking at this week to see. You know, he's he's not one of the bigger names, but he's got he's put himself in position to you know have a terrific year.
0: He calls himself the middle-aged rookie. You gotta love that. <laughs> So let's look at some other guys that are on um, the bubble, Bob. And also, if you can, you know, break down for my listeners. So this week, the FedEx Cup points quadruple, 2,000 to the winner. It's a very thin margin here in terms of points versus place. Um, and, And then you've got, you know, the guys that have the comfort, like you were mentioning earlier, of being in the you know top 5 on the FedEx Cup points list. So how, how does all that break down?
1: Yeah, so for example, at the Wyndham when Glover won, he got 500 points for winning. Last week in Memphis when he won, he got 2000. They they quadruple the points for the entire list all the way down. It's it's meant to create more volatility. Even so, only two guys moved in from outside the top 50 into the top 50. One of the reasons for that is, is everybody's getting points. Like I, I saw some blowback on why is there not more volatility? Well, when you're in a when you're in a 70 player field and you're trying to move ahead, well you're all, you're trying to move ahead of guys who are also getting points. And even if they're not doing that well, they're still getting points. So when they when they went to the system where none of the playoff events have a cut, they've sort of like I think inadvertently brought a little less uh, volatility um you know so uh this week again four times the points uh 2,000 to the winner um but it, it, what it's meant to do is if you're like 68th and you have a top two or three finish you're going to move on you know they've given you a chance to move up you know but you're going to have to really play well to do it it's I keep saying playoffs is the, is the not a good word for the system because, you know, playoffs suggest
0: you're knocking that people number, out.
1: Right. That, you know, like, you know, in, in other playoffs, you know, but uh, Rom's number one in points. Well, in a regular playoff, he could get knocked out. He can't get knocked out here. I think pretty much the top 15 or 16 guys are assured of going to Atlanta. You know, like by the numbers. You know, like it would take something really weird for somebody who's really not even in the top twenty, uh, for for somebody who's in the top twenty to not make it. There's there's probably only going to be a few a, a few spots change hands. It'll be it'll be farther down. But um, that's the system. You know, it's it's meant to reward year long play as well. I get that. Um, and especially when you consider what's at stake. Um, with the majors and everything, it would probably be a bad idea to, to change it so that guys, you know, like you could be in the top 30 all year and then one tournament you're not. So I get that part of it. I, I think where the, <laughs> where the change in the system needs to be made is, is next week. Um, I just never think they, they've never really gotten the Tour Championship right. Now they've gone to this um, staggered stroke start thing which once it starts, it's easy to follow, but it's it's just also, it's just kind of weird, you know. I mean, the, the guy who comes out of here number one is going to start at 10 under par next week. Well, that's all, that's great, you know, but it's just, I still wish they did some sort of thing where they had, a, they had a, you know, a tournament winner, a tour championship winner. You get credit for winning the tour championship. You get paid for that. And then X number of guys play one day, to, to figure out the FedEx Cup, you know, whatever, it's four or six or eight or whatever, you know, and, 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 and let them play for it. It would probably be very dramatic because there's a lot of money at stake. It's a big difference between one and two and then two, three, four down the line. This is the system we have, and and I would probably argue that the tour at this point in time has bigger problems to worry about.
0: Speaking of which, we know Jay Monaghan uh, is back on the job, has been out. Uh, at some events recently, and the news yesterday uh, regarding the Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, the PIF, as we call it, uh, has sent um, a letter, uh, Senator Blumenthal, to Yasser al-Ramayan, the uh, governor, uh, to appear before the antitrust case. Uh, that's currently uh, being uh, looked at by the subcommittee on investigations. Your update on that?
1: Yeah, it doesn't look like Yasser wants to come talk to them. He's, um, you know, he's invoking some sort of sovereign, you know, governmental governmental reasons for that. Who knows? Um, you know, this thing is is very complicated. Um, it's uh, it's going to have a lot of twists and turns as we go forward. Um, our government getting involved is, is just another one of them, you know. Um, they're obviously interested to know why, you know, what, what's the end result going to be. If you read the framework agreement, though, the tour maintains that it will have control. And there's a lot of disconnect about this, like what, how, how this is supposed to work. But by, by what they have put forth, the PGA Tour, what we are involved in now, isn't going to change. Like I hear all this, oh, you know, the, the designated events are going to become live events. That's, that's not what's going to happen, at least the way it's laid out right now. The PGA Tour will exist as we know it. What's going to be different is this for-profit PGA Tour enterprises where the valuations of the tour, the DP World Tour, and Live are all sort of put together and they figure something out. What that's going to be, I have no idea. I don't think anybody does. Are they going to fold Live events into it? Are they going to just completely kill it? You know, is is the PIF going to become... Like uh, you know, investor in some new events that are part of the for-profit, and then and then they're going to be a sponsor or a presenting sponsor of regular tour events. You know, they they can't invest in the tour. You can't have equity investment in a nonprofit. And the way the tour is set up right now, they're a nonprofit. You know, their title right. sponsors invest as sponsors who get a tax break for investing. They don't get. In, they don't get a return on their investment directly their return is in you know basically publicity BMW this week you know they're paying probably with a 20 million dollar purse they're paying in excess of 20 million dollars I don't know what the total number would be maybe 25 28 they're paying that amount of money to put their name on this tournament give it on TV a bunch a lot a lot of commercials. It also buys them airtime throughout the playoffs and during other times of the year. And that is and then they get a tax write-off because it's a charity. But other than that, you know, they're not like gonna recoup anything from the tournament. They're not gonna get a return on ticket sales or hospitality or things like that. They would that, that money goes to charity. It you know pays the bills and then it goes to charity. In this case the Evan Scholars. So, you know, if, if the PIF wants to do that to get their name out there, Ramco, of course, would probably be their way of doing it. Um, the oil company, which sponsors some L.E.T. events, it, it sponsors a, a series of events, the Ramco series, uh, on the, L, the Ladies European Tour, which n- numerous LPGA players have taken part in. If they want to do their team thing with Liv still, and want to fold that into the tour and the DP World Tour and maybe have eight events and still try to sell teams. How that can work or will work, or what that, that there is a to me a long path to figure that out. But you know, I did a piece a week or so ago on how on Tiger's comments in recent years about various things that were sort of you know related to this. He got asked four years ago when Phil first committed to playing in the Saudi International. Tiger did not criticize it. His answer at the time was, he goes, I understand that that, uh, um, you know, that there's a political side to this, but, you know, m- maybe this will help Saudi grow golf. That's what Tiger said at the time. And then he recounted his own example with Dubai. He said, when I first started going to Dubai, there was three buildings in the background. Now it looks like New York City. So maybe the same sort of thing will happen in Saudi. When he was asked in 2020, before the pandemic, about PGL, the forerunner to live, he did not discount it. He said, yeah, we're talking to him. We're trying to find out what it's all about. So, and, and even, even last year, when all the Phil hubbub came up at the Genesis, and one of Phil's big complaints was media rights for the players... Tiger was like, yeah, we're all wondering about our media rights. What does it mean? You think Tiger wouldn't want his own media rights? (laughs) I mean, so, like, some of the things that Phil has been very outspoken about, Tiger wasn't criticizing. Tiger just has done a better job of not making it controversial. Like, behind the scenes, I think Tiger has some of the same feelings Phil has had. He just wouldn't have gone about it this way. You know, and and clearly Tiger's issue with Liv is mostly Greg Norman. You know, I mean, otherwise, why would Steinberg, his agent, have talked to the PGL four years, five years ago? It's the same format. 54 holes, 48 players, all that stuff. Um, I think, you know, maybe he was doing it for leverage. Maybe he was doing it to show the tour, hey, look, maybe you guys need to step up. And then when it's all said and done, he's not a fan of the format. Okay, it'd be it'd be great to know how he really thinks. Uh, but this is sort of a long-winded way of saying, what's going to really happen? Tiger's got a board seat now. Does y- does Yasser want to work with Tiger, or does he want to be on the other side of Tiger? If Yasser if a deal doesn't get done and live lives on, then you're going to have an adversary in Tiger Woods. And most of the game is going to shun Liv, I think. But what if Yasser sits down and says, no, I want to work with you. I want to be on the PGA Tour board. I want to invest in the PGA Tour. Let's come. Let's figure out how my idea can work on a smaller scale. Effectively, that would probably be killing Liv, but they'd all get along. You know, look, at the British Open, Yasser met with Martin Slumbers. You know, how much does he want Liv to, li- to, to, to move on? Maybe... Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe having a seat at the table and investing in in the best tour in the world and the biggest tour is his ultimate goal, and that's what he's going to get.
0: Exactly. I think you hit it right there, Bob. He wants a seat at the table. And if along with that, he will be rubbing elbows with Tiger Woods, uh, probably even more than he expected.
1: Quite possibly. He's on the board. He certainly will, you know. And so that's where there's there's a lot of speculation that that the deal might not go through. Well, if it doesn't go through, then Yasser's the not on the board. And you know, yeah, sure, Liv could 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 conceivably keep going. They could conceivably poach more players. But I still I still wonder where are they going to get their foothold despite all of the gains that they've made and they've launched and they've had some great events overseas it has not generally been widely accepted that's just the bottom line I mean I'm not I've tried you know we've talked about this I've tried very hard to have an open mind to it you know and and see how it might play out you know and I'm actually not that bothered by 54 holes I'm not a big fan of shotgun starts but I get it um I think there's a lot of tweaks they could make. The team thing doesn't bother me. You know, once they tee it off, it's still golf. But the bottom line is, is you know, I'm trying very hard to be objective about, about it. It's it's not a an abundance of people who have bought into it. And so if you don't have the PGA Tour's backing, where the Tour could steer you to a better rights deal for TV, where the Tour could, you know embrace some of the team concept and have players go back and forth. I I don't know. I mean, I just think it's sort of going to be out there on an island. So that's why. This is this is sort of the cat and mouse game. I think both sides are going to be playing here.
0: Yes, and December 31st is coming faster than uh, than we're going to realize here for them to iron all this exactly. out. Well. So it's the final week for... Uh, Americans to earn one of six automatic spots for the Ryder Cup. Boy, get the Ouija board out, because there are all kinds of possibilities and permutations here. Uh, your thoughts on where uh, Zach Johnson is is sitting right now?
1: Yeah, I think Zach's got some tough calls uh, ahead two days after the Tour Championship. Um, you know, we're going to have the six decided this week. I think whoever they are, we, we're going to feel fine about that. That they are who they are. You know, you got Scheffler. Um, you're going to have Wyndham Clark, Brian Harmon. Uh, it looks like uh, uh, Cantlay, Shofflay, and Brooks. Those six are pretty much a lock. If Brooks falls out to seventh, he's still going to be in. I, I I'm convinced. So then, you know, let's say let's say Holma is the seventh. I got to believe he's in. Spieth is in. That gets you to eight. Um then after that it starts to get a little bit tricky. Um, you got Keegan Keegan
0: Bradley on the bubble, Keegan, Ricky.
1: Right. Keegan, Ricky, um uh
0: Tony Finaw
1: Morikawa, Justin Thomas, Tony Finow, uh Cam Young, uh, there's six guys right there for four spots. Um, I'm not including Bryson who you might, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, Bryson could be an asset, you know, if, if you think it through and there's a way you want to use them, I, this is when we get to this point, I always say it's not about who deserves it. The six guys who qualify on their own are the ones who deserve it. They met the criteria after that. It's all about figuring out what's best for your team just because you're eighth in points doesn't mean you quote deserve it because the format is different the way they qualify is not what the competition is it's match play it's putting it's team play you've got to have a you know that's that's why i think justin thomas still has a great chance you know despite having a poor year he's got a great Ryder cup and president's cup record he's got a solid record with spieth In the team thing. They don't have to play him all the matches. And he's a fiery guy who everybody likes. You know, and let's be honest. Tiger has a say in this behind the scenes. And Tiger and JT are buddies. Right. So while I I hate the whole, you know, good old boys concept that's kind of hurt the U.S. in the past, I could see that helping him there. You know, I think Ricky's part of that. He's had a very solid year. He's putting well. Yes. We need good putters. As we were talking earlier... Morikawa is not a solid putter. Scheffler struggles to putt. He's on the team. You know, I I didn't even mention Sam Burns. He's another guy. Hasn't done much lately. Um, You know, Glover's putting nicely now. I I didn't even mention him. He's another guy. Yeah. There's There's like eight guys, you know, and I think it's really tough. But here's the thing. They've gotten way better at crunching numbers. They've gotten way better at getting the input of the guys who make it and figuring out who can play together. And I go back to two years ago. There was a lot of consternation over that last spot. And it went to Scotty Scheffler. Now, behind the scenes, I think they were very, very comfortable with Scheffler. They had worked out that he was going to be great for the team. And out in the public, we all thought, Wow, you know, what about Kevin Na? Remember, he had a great tour championship. What about Reed, who who had been ill but had been a great Ryder Cup player? And I don't think it was that hard of a decision for Steve Stricker, and it worked out great. Sheffler had a great Ryder Cup, and look at what he's done since. So, you know, in their minds, it might might be easier. Like, to Zach, he might have a, a plan. You know, he might think that, just for example, that, Cam Young will be a great partner with Brian Harmon. I, I, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know. But it, maybe, maybe it's easier than, than we're making it out. The results, I think, are, are less of, a, of an issue. Look, even after next week, it's still three plus weeks to the Ryder Cup, four weeks to the Ryder Cup. How, how much does your form matter? You know, I mean, who's to say Lucas Glover is going to be playing great in six weeks or any of them? Right, but vice versa. Who's to say that Justin Thomas won't find it true in the next six weeks? You know, so there's. It's look. It's going to be fascinating. It's what makes the Ryder Cup great. You know, and and uh, yeah, I just go back to if you um, if you really want to be on the team, make sure you're in the top six,
0: six captains' picks, which um, is getting more difficult by the tournament. No doubt about it. So, all right, Bob, we're in the playoffs, so I'm going to have you throw two darts. One, who is going to be the BMW champion and long shot dart of who you think at this point is going to win the whole shebang for the FedEx Cup playoffs.
1: I actually kind of like Morikawa this week at the BMW.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: I think he's got a little something to prove with the Ryder Cup and you know look he lost in a playoff to to Ricky he's he's played decently of late just not getting over the line and I think Rom's going to win the whole thing um I think he's very determined to win the FedEx Cup like you know he's he's had some cracks at it here lately he's he's a guy who's not been a huge fan of the, of the format. He's like, look, I could win all these events, and if I have a bad week next, you know, at the Tour Championship, I won't win it. You know? And so I think he's, like, his comments the other day were the goal at this point is just to get yourself in position in Atlanta. And he's at number... He didn't have a great week last week, but he's still number one in the points. And I think he just wants to come out of here number one in the points. Look, I guess... I, if if it's me, I'd rather just win this tournament and then take my chances next week, you know. But there is a, a fatigue factor. Last week was brutally hot, you know. It took its toll. This week is going to be warm. We've got, you know, weather issues, wet conditions again. Atlanta, of course, will be hot. So there is something to be said for kind of conserving your energy and, and not, you know, um, you know, sort of burning yourself out. So maybe that's the strategy for him.
0: Nobody knows that better than Rory McIlroy. Could be going for a record-setting number four. Bob, what do you think his chances are? What's your over-under?
1: Well, I think his chances are great, you know. I really do. He plays Eastlake well. And, um... You know, even if he's second or third in this thing going in or fourth, you know. Look, last year he was six behind Sheffield going in the final round and won. You know, it's six strokes. So, you know, um, you know, he likes the course. And I think if he's anywhere in those top, you know, he's got a great chance. So um, I don't discount him at all. Not,
0: not, not in any way. Well, Bob, it's always great to spend time with you, and thanks for giving us such a comprehensive look as we approach the second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. One week out of Hot Lanta and the FedEx Cup finals. Stay dry there in Chicagoland, and thanks so much. Bob Herrick from SI.com.